Welcome to the Business Influencer Podcast, where we will be interviewing and exploring the success stories of entrepreneurs, business leaders, senior policymakers, and getting insights from thought leaders around the issues of the day. We will be delving into and analyzing the latest news around tech, geopolitics, finance, global business, entrepreneurship, property, leadership, law, philanthropy, and life. This podcast is available on all platforms. But for those of you who prefer to watch, uh, we have the Natural Media YouTube channel. Please subscribe and you can watch all the interviews. Uh, you can also follow the show's updates on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Please do leave a review as it helps to get the word out and about. Uh, my name is Ninda Johal. I am the co-founder of The Natural Group, the Signature Awards and co-publisher of the Business Influencer magazine. And I will be your host for the show. In this episode, we speak to entrepreneur Byron Dixon on the success of his global business, Microfresh. And if you do pop into some of the larger department stores, you'll find his products in there, particularly, I keep bumping into them every time I pop into a next. Uh, we discuss such things as globalization, risk-taking, and education. Uh, and we look at the importance of science and therefore innovation, and of course, culture. And we discuss what his upbringing and background held him back or actually propelled him forward and of course how can we inspire others to follow in his unique footsteps a really interesting chap is Byron Dixon and actually he's even a bass player as well so let's pop over and have a listen it's just struck midday Byron and sorry, I spent ages, missed the wrong turning, but great to see you. And of course, we've been trying to do this for ages, but you're a busy man globetrotting. <laughs> ages, and welcome to sunny Leicester. It is very Don't miss sunny. the junction, because it, it takes you around some beautiful countryside, it which does. is great, but not when you're in a hurry. Not when you're in a hurry, so apologies for that. But uh, listen, things good with you? Things are good, can't complain, I right, can't so, complain. So for those um, who are just tuning in, either watching, or listening, I'm speaking to Byron Dixon, uh, entrepreneur. Thank um, you. Will tell us an interesting story. It's a very interesting story as to how I ended up speaking to you. Uh, you're a multi-award winner. I know Thank you won you. awards at our events. Um, and the one thing I always know about you, and if you're watching this, you'll see what I'm saying. You got the most amazing smile, but we'll talk about the smile a bit later. <laughs> I can uh, do grumpy face when yeah. Chelsea lose. <laughs> uh, yes, let's not do that. Yeah, yeah. The athlete, yeah, the result recently wasn't good. Madrid, Madrid, Madrid. Yeah, yeah. Close, close. But, <laughs> moving right, on. Yeah, moving on, moving on, swiftly on. Right. So, um, what I wanted to do today, uh, Byron, uh, was touch on a couple of things. Uh, one was um, social mobility. In other words, why do entrepreneurs? do or don't succeed? How does their background impact on whether they succeed or don't succeed? How does the lack of, or sometimes maybe not, uh, inspirational figures help them on their journey or not? Um, and to what extent is actually your background the driver to take you? Does that make sense? So sometimes... <laughs> That's a lot of questions. I need to know if that's right. All yeah, <laughs> so, so, so we'll go through them bit by bit if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so, okay. So, so let's kick off. Uh, you enjoyed chemistry. Well, enjoyed is a strong word. <laughs> 
I could do chemistry. You could do chemistry. But that's, that's important that you could do chemistry, couldn't you? That's all I could do. And Which, then you went to work for... A chemical a, company. Right. Yeah. So at school, um, ironically, the school I went to is not far from here. Okay. Just over there. My mum still lives in the same house, which is just down there. Okay. Um, and if you drive around this area, you'll see the area that I grew up in. Yeah. Which isn't the greatest. Um, but what they realised was I could do chemistry. Uh, from a very young age, I remember having a chemistry kit. You know, well, I don't know if you remember, you know, those chemistry yeah, yeah, kits yeah, you yeah, get yeah, used to as see, a Christmas yeah. present. Yeah, and yeah. I just loved it and I could do it. Um, and I couldn't do anything else. Chemistry and play football. So as time went on, um, one of my teachers said to me, mm -hmm. you're stuck on this council estate, kid. If you want to get off it, do your chemistry. And that was the driver. And it's extraordinary because I don't know many from an Afro-Caribbean background like yourself. Yeah. I, knew, I know a few uh, Indians, but not many people were into chemistry. And, and, and the, Okay, so you enjoyed chemistry. Your teacher said, listen, you better sort yourself out. Basically, yeah. yeah. Where did you go next then? You, so you, you, you obviously finished school. Yeah, so I did chemistry. I did yeah. O-levels, uh, okay. A-levels. Yeah. And then I wrote to ICI okay. for a job. ICI was the biggest chemical company in the world. Yeah. They were English. Yeah. Uh, so I wrote to them. They sent me to their nearest depot, which was in Loughborough, the nearest one to Leicester. Yeah. That happened to be ICI leather finishes. Yeah. So I travelled on to Loughborough. And I got a job with, well, it was Zeneca. It just changed to Zeneca at the time. They'd divulged yeah. two companies. And I went off to work for Zeneca Leather Finishes. The company was actually called Stahl. So I trotted in there with my A-levels in a lab coat, uh, got a job in the development lab, hated it, Ooh. bored. Another thing about me is I get bored very quickly. So if I get up in about 7.7 .7 seconds, you know, I've just got bored. Um, and I switched jobs within the company to go on to customer service. Okay, so away from chemistry then? Still doing the chemistry, but dealing with customers. Okay. So customers, typically footwear companies like okay. Clarks or okay. churches, okay. had problems with the leather finishes, sure. or the shoe finishes they call them. They'd ring up, they'd send some leather in for testing, and I would do all the testing. Got it. And, but also I'd speak to them on the phone, I'd make a note of all the what needed doing, I'd source the products and send them the test reports back. So I built up a relationship with people, which is something I've always loved doing. So people plus chemistry... Seems That's like a right. great ingredient. Yeah. Ingredient. Okay, so so you're working for a corporate. So why didn't you stay there? Well, anybody. I mean, most people would have said, "Great, great job." Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm sorted for life. Job done. Yeah, and anybody that knows me will know that corporate life and me just don't go. You know, I am the. I've been told from when I was very young that I am the archetypal free spirit. I'm a Piscean. I'm a dreamer. Uh, and I'm a free spirit. And corporate life, it has its place. But for me, after a while, I just, I just felt I was being crushed as a person. So I love the job. I love the clients. In fact, some of the clients I still deal with today, you know, 30 years later. Um, but the environment of working for a corporation, I just found it crushing. Um, I put the feelers out and I got headhunted by Echo, the Danish shoe company. Um, got interviewed by a guy in Denmark, uh, sorry, in London, Soren Steer. He's now one of the top people at Echo, vice president. Uh, it was a Man United versus Chelsea evening, and I thought he was here for the Man United. We spoke about Schmeichel, and I spoke about Chelsea. Uh, and we interviewed, and we got on like a house on fire. So in the end, I went off to Echo. But you still stay within corporate, though? 
Well, Echo is a big company, but okay. it's not a corporate. Okay. It's not a corporation. And okay. the difference, I mean, somebody will tell me there's a smart, proper def- difference, but it's run from the bottom up. And that's a major difference. So I joined a big company of about 10,000 employees. Yes, yeah, right. But when you join, you're expected to make your own mark. There's minimal rules. You can, you're like an entrepreneur in a business. So you, rather than being a corporation, hey, listen, I'm not slagging off corporations. No, no, so, no, 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 You know, you've all got your place, but there's right. lots of rules and procedures right. and That's etiquette right. and... and um, which is why they've grown to where Which is why grown. they've grown and they've because got, they got standard practices yeah. of words yeah. and they've reproduced that. Yeah. Echo is, it's like the model turned upside down. Wow. So Interesting. Whatever role you join, you can make a difference very quickly. You can walk into the CEO's office Okay, maybe not these days, you may have to have a divisional manager, but with an idea that the whole company will adopt because it makes sense. And that suited me down to the ground. So they would rip up the rule book if they thought it was a viable proposition, made the product better, made the company more profitable, or made them more efficient. So what happened there then? So you, but you moved on. I loved it. Oh, you loved it? The bit I didn't realise at the interview was the job was in Denmark. (laughs) (laughs) Slight little detail. Yeah, so... Slight little detail. Sorry if you're listening, you know, I didn't pick that up. I mean, I did actually have a second interview in Denmark, which is ironic, but I just thought the job was in London. So I accepted the job. They sent me this fax (laughs) with all the details. It was in Danish, which I thought was a bit odd, but I thought, sounds good. Did a quick calculation on the numbers because it was in Danish Krona. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, great, I'll take it. And then they said, do you want to fly from Heathrow or East Midlands? And I said, where to? And they went, Denmark. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> so I thought, do you know what? Why not? I can always come back. Yeah. And my mum is Jamaican. My, my parents are Jamaican. lost my yeah. father a few years ago. Um, and I, when they came to England, my dad didn't like England. And to cut a long story short, my mum and dad split up, so my mum was left with five kids on a council estate as a single parent. I think something I will need to say is immigration is a naturally entrepreneurial thing to do. It has, in the press generally, some negative connotations, but if you think about it, you're leaving your family, you know, your family is similar. How many people would get up today from the shires, let's just say, and go and live in a foreign country, don't know anybody, in some cases, you haven't even got a job, but to make a better life. So it's a naturally entrepreneurial thing to do. It's a risky thing to do. It's, it's a risky thing, but it's entrepreneurial. Well, Warren, all the stats show that um, startups, a higher percentage of immigrants are responsible for startups than the indigenous population. Yeah. And it's not just this country, any country. So That's immigrants right. have less to lose, in effect. Yeah. Probably struggle to get employment. That's as a right. Result. Don't have a social network. No, no, social so, so their immediate recourse is to set up their own business. That's right. So immigration, whilst a lot of people lambast it, actually can create a lot of wealth because they're the most people keen to set up startups, and, and, That's and they're right. the ones who do do the startups. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Barbara. Yeah, it's a natural right. entrepreneurial thing to do. So. Yeah. I went off to Denmark. Yeah. I became an immigrant in Denmark because I, I was born here. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I realised, geez, this is difficult. You know, I had a job, which most people don't have when they immigrate. Uh, culture, language, money, tax, library, even going to the library. <laughs> which, which, which now gives you 
a total perspective on your parents. Completely total perspective on my parents. Um, think, oh, God, God, and it's you. difficult. But you know what? I love the challenge. Okay. Uh, Denmark's a great country. I'm hoping to go back there in a couple of months. Uh, but the challenge, I love a challenge. Uh, and the deeper the challenge, I think it grows you as a person. So I went off to Denmark. Yeah, I tell a dance if there's any Danish people listening or Swedish. Uh, I've just said I speak Danish in Danish. So I learnt the language. We did a few gigs in Denmark. Did really you? Nice, really nice. Yeah. Anyway, Karen, if, you need, if you ever need a translator, don't hire me because I'll get you saying the wrong thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, but it opened my mind. It, it completely broadened my mind. So, so is that because, and, and is that what led you to success later? Is that you were certainly in a in an uncomfortable zone and a zone in which only you could learn because everything you did thereafter, you were going to be learning because it was so that's right alien to you. And, and and they say that's that's the area of growth. The more alien activities you do every day, things you're not f- comfortable with. That's right. The more you grow, you grow, you grow. And um, I grew in Echo. I mean, I grew in Zeneca in a different way, but I grew in Echo in four years massively because you, you, there's nobody to ask. When you ask, they say, "Well, what would you do?" You're a grown up. Very simple things in the even in the workplace. I know we're going to be talking about global later, but do you think you spending four years outside of your country helped you then to understand how to grow globally? Massively. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, massively. And so. most Danes, some Danes or most, I guess it's most, there'll be a Danish person watching who will correct me. They spend part of their schooling life, their sort of post-16 education in another country. They generally have a year. So a good friend of mine, Thomas, his son, Simon, went off to Memphis for a year. So I saw Simon, Simon in, in English, from a baby. When he was 16, he went off to Memphis and then I was FaceTiming him in Memphis and he was telling me about the elections coming up, the American elections with Donald Trump. Uh, and I thought, you're 16. Yeah. <laughs> and they come back to Denmark or wherever they land in the world and their minds are like this. Yeah, yes. completely. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me to go there for four years, Ninda, I my mind just went like that. And I was the biggest sponge. I travelled so much. I learnt languages. I learnt cultures. And I learnt that things are not right or wrong. They're just different. Yeah. So, yeah, it gave me a completely different perspective on life. What, what was the next step after that then? The next step was Denmark's a great country. Um, it's expensive. Yeah. It's cold in the winter. It's very, very cool. dark. Very dark. Uh, and I wouldn't say I got homesick, but I just felt I needed a change. So I came back to England with my partner at the time. She was homesick. I wasn't. Um, and I started my own business. Right. So he- he- here's the question then. So you didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial environment. No. No. You went to school like most of the kids. Yeah. You went into corporate like yeah. most people. Yeah. Now having done work in corporate environments, you suddenly decide, completely flip it, to go on your own. Yeah. Now, you talked about being uncomfortable when you got to Denmark. That must have been uncomfortable, suddenly switching like that with no long-term, in other words, you weren't as a little kid saying, I want to be an entrepreneur. No. So, 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 so this is a complete radical. How uncomfortable was that decision? Which, the Danish one or the... No, the entrepreneur one, having now come across and suddenly... I mean, you are flipping it here, totally. Yeah, completely. Complete flip, complete complete flip. Well, the owner of Echo, the guy who started Echo, Carl Toosby. 
Yeah. Katie, we knew him as. Ironically, we have the same birthday, February the 23rd. Okay. So people can feel free to send me nice presents <laughs> at that time of year. Um, but when I spoke to Katie about going back to England, coming back to England, I yeah. should say, he said to me, you need to start your own business. Ah. And he's, he basically said, I've seen enough in you that you need to start your own business. He said, don't work for anybody. Um, and he said, now you have a global network through working for Echo, because I travelled all the time. And he, he advised me to start my own business, which I did. So I started a business, consulting with shoe companies. Okay, so consultation first. Consultation. Consultier. Um Died a complete death. <laughs> I was going to say, how, how easy was that? Obviously not. It, it was, Linda, it was, it, starting a business is tough. Yeah. So zero turnover, zero sales, lots of peddling, lots of selling, nothing. But what I realized was that people said to me, you're the technician, you know the products, you can formulate stuff, you're the chemist. So I flipped it again. <laughs> so instead of advising them, I said, this is what product you should be using. And I sourced the products, the finishes and the lacquers oh, and the waxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that became, it went from Corium Consultants to Corium Solutions. And we started supplying and then we started manufacturing. Tough because the manufacturing is expensive. You've got a lot of cost lot and of the sales were tiny. A lot of investment. Uh, so my savings that I had, which was 12 grand from De- when I came back from Denmark, quickly went to nothing. Um, and I was living in a little terrace house. And then I decided to formulate a product to stop mold growing and see if I could set on leather and see if I could sell it back to the industry. And that's what you did. And that's what I did. And when did you know that idea that you suddenly just came up with, um, having really struggled trying to get get there. When was the point at which you thought, oh my gosh, actually, this is working. What, what, what was it that suddenly said to you and how long did it take before some, you went, hold on, <laughs> I've got something here. Yeah, well, I took it around all the retailers that I knew and they all said, We're, there's something in China that's really cheap. We don't need your product. It's made in England. So, um, yeah. Then something happened, which most people watching will probably not know about, but if you Google it, there was a product that they used on leather to stop mold growing, and it's irritant. But it doesn't matter because it's on shoes, it's on the outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leather sofa started to be made in China. So the, peop- the factories just took the same product that went, ah, this is for leather, and used it on sofas. Ooh. And when the sofas came to the UK and people sat on them, they started to irritate the skin. And so about 2008, there was a thing called the toxic sofa scandal because it was burning people's skin. They were getting huge lesions, really serious. And it got into national press. And then they said, what is it? What's causing it? And they found out it was this anti-mold treatment. So if you Google toxic sofa scandal, it was the second biggest class action lawsuit since thalidomide. And they said, where's that guy that always smiles with that product? <laughs> the guy that, you know, wears this old shabby suit and drives that old clapped out car. So the smile did come in. Yeah, I, oh, I nice. remember going to Hush Puppies uh, trying to sell the product and it, they, they weren't interested. And my battery died in the car park. And they came out and helped me to charge my battery. And they said, this, you're not doing very well, Byron, are you? Because I was really struggling. Mm. Um, but they said, where's that guy? that black guy for argument's sake with a smile now, with the product now, 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 now let me ask you something there sorry I'm, <laughs> I'm interrupting here now you've just said that black guy yeah. with the smile 
Do you think your appearance now actually was an advantage? Because I remembered you look different, don't you? Come on. You I've got different. to say I think it is. You look different, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and difference means people remember you. That's right. That's the quickest way to remember me. <laughs> I, I know it is. <laughs> you know, in my industry as a chemist, as you say, there's very few. So I know that people may not say it to my face, but they will say, that black guy. Oh, yeah, Byron. I've got a client that does say that. I won't say his name on no. it because he'll crucify me. But he says it with a big smile on his face because he actually told me that he said it and everybody went, Byron, we've got his number. See, because <laughs> I, I, and I tell you why I picked that question because um, or that comment on Because I say to people, um, if you look different, believe me, it's an advantage. And as long as you say something half reasonable and half sensible, people will remember you. So, listen... There's always going to be areas where it works against you. I'm, I'm not yeah. saying that. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying, listen, carte blanche. But I think in certain circumstances, looking different can be an advantage. And I think you need to make... You've just been a, that's a brilliant advantage. They all remember you. <laughs> they do, because if when I talk about my style days, the Zeneca days, I mean, I used to go to Clark's. They're in the West Country. Yeah. Uh, everybody said, oh, there's Byron. People walk past me in the street that I don't know and say, oh, are you so-and-so from London? I'm like, no. Because they just, everybody go, we know that guy. I used to go to Kendall in the Lake District, K-Shoes. Yeah. I used to go to Norwich. It's all these places where there's no black faces. Yeah, no. Um, and there wasn't any trouble. No. But everybody remembered me. <laughs> so, so when I went back, it was always, it was like familiar. Yeah. Then, of course, I moved to Denmark, South Jutland. <laughs> Yes. Where, you know, I mean, again, they'll crucify me, but I had a bank account and I didn't need any idea when I went into the bank because they just knew. So being different helps? I absolutely think so. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the uh, 90s, I went I, to the I, Irish I, border, the yeah. shoe factories on the border. Uh, and apart from the fact I could have maybe looked a bit like a soldier, but everybody remembered me. So I found it a massive advantage, and I try and say that to people around me, to say, if you look different, it come, it's, it's an advantage. Now, the other thing that I've just picked up from you is you were persistent. I mean, yeah. listen, you were being, doors were being shut all the time. They were. But you were persistent. And of course, then the opportunity came. Yeah. The opportunity came. And now it was a question of could you maximise the opportunity? And I reckon you did. I did. <laughs> There's a couple of things happened because we had a little tiny manufacturing unit. And yeah. suddenly people said, I need that product and I need lots of it because we don't want to be sued. Yeah. We want microfresher there, anti-mold yeah. treatment on our furniture. I won't say the companies. Yeah. We don't want to be sued, so we need it. And I was like, yeah, 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 great, thinking, I haven't got the capacity. But yeah. let's get the order first. Yes. Yeah. find Good. a way of yeah. delivering. Get the order first, great. Uh, and that's what we did. So I found people that would make it for us. Uh, but at the end of the day, we fulfilled all the orders. Yeah, nice. Grew the team. And then I met a lady called Andrew. I think you may know Andrew Trevidi. Yeah. Uh, Casual conversation at the University of Leicester. We'd never worked with the university before. And she said, does it work on textiles? And I said, don't know. And we did some testing with the University of Leicester and it worked. And I thought, wow. Now, now, now there's an example. And, and I'm afraid too many businesses don't do what you just did, which is on their doorstep are some fantastic minds sitting in some universities. And they've just not taken advantage. And I think partly universities don't reach out. I mean, you obviously didn't you know, yeah. they don't reach out and say, look, this is what we're very, very good at. 
and 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 you know innovation we could be so much more innovative if the oh. partnership and you've just given an example of it it did work yeah and how innovative you became but i think if there's one give takeaway and you're a classic example of it is work with the very best in your region and they're probably sitting in the universities right now with there's, the most amazing skill set yeah and uh you know we work with some and I mean, great universities, yeah. Leicester, University of Leicester, De Montfort Uni, the world centre of excellence for textiles. Nice. So most people, especially in the fashion industry, anything to do with textiles, have been through DMU, De Montfort University. And of course, Leicester itself is was a textile industry. Textile That's industry. right. Yeah, city of textiles. You know, I worked with Aston, you know, the microbiologist right. there. That's because right. what I realised, after speaking with Andrew, is I'd always thought, I can't just keep going in the corner and mixing stuff up. This yeah. is ridiculous. Um, and to take this product to the next level, I need some smart people. Yeah. We're the smartest people in universities. <laughs> because we think of them as an extension of sixth form colleges. They're just teaching institutions. And that's something, a message for universities to get out there and say to business, I think so. we have this capability. Yeah. I went down to the Open University the other day. I did my degree at Open University. Oh. I couldn't afford to go to proper university. I was going to ask you, then I... Yeah, I completely forgot. Was well, you obviously decided not to go to uni? You remember you went couldn't, from that's right, from A level straight to couldn't afford it. ICI. Yeah, couldn't okay, afford it. Okay. My mum couldn't afford it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I went down to Open University the other day, and I met this guy who is like one of the world leaders on air purification, and he's so passionate. I mean, he lost me after about the first ten minutes, but he's so passionate, and I thought this resource is here. Yes, right. 50 miles away for us to use and we're developing something with the Open good. University. Good. So I think universities, for them, it's good, if they're watching this podcast, to get business involved and say, we've got all this capability on your doorstep. I, I think you're a great case study for that. And, and I've always mourned about it, the fact that yeah. we've never been able to get universities and businesses working. That's some fantastic minds. Okay, so, rocking on then. So, yeah. so <laughs> the sulfurs were a problem. You were the panacea to the entire world. You got yes. cracking. You did the right entrepreneurial thing. You took the orders then. Right, how do I resolve this? <laughs> it's not a problem. Good way around. And then, of course, you start to mushroom. Now, I know for a fact that you export. So so how did the export journey start? Because, and I'll tell you why I'm going to ask that question. You spent four years out in Denmark. That, that's right. Yeah. So you understood what it's like to be outside of these shores. Yeah. 75% of businesses in the UK have never exported. Never. Yeah. Um, and that's one of our biggest challenges. So why did you do it when 75% of businesses don't do it? Was it the Denmark thing or did you see an opportunity? I think there's a couple of factors. As I say, being an immigrant, well, my mum was an immigrant, is yeah. naturally entrepreneurial. So yeah. in our family, we kind of have that streak in us. And the thing that attracted me to Zeneca, RCI, was that when I wrote to them for a job, their letter came back with all their overseas offices. Mm. So I've always had that overseas thing. My sister's lived in Spain on and off for probably 12 years with the kids, carted the kids around. Yeah. My brother's lived in Spain. I've lived in Denmark. Um, so we've never been afraid of travel. Yeah. When I was there, I realised what a great world we have. And it's not a soundbite. It's a great world. It's a big place. There's lots of cultures and there's lots of opportunity. So if you have a product in the UK that you've developed, why not sell it to the world? Really, there's different cultures, different money, different all sorts of things, but we're all people. So if you've got a product you believe in, rather than keep trying to develop markets in the UK, sell it to the world. It's a great place. You go and see great places. It's hard work. It develops you as a person. But there are other countries that will need your product um, in a greater or lesser form. 
So as an example, um, you know, microfresh stops bacteria and fungi stops mold and it's antimicrobial, which is great. Now, and it stops odours. The biggest use for microfresh in the UK is freshness. So John Lewis can sell more bedding. Nets can sell more shoes. And I'm, 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 by the way, I always have to send you a photo every time I pop into you go into to next, next yeah. <laughs> microfresh brand is there and I think God, I did it a few times and I got bored of doing no, it no keep doing it keep doing it I actually did it myself yesterday I went to next to take a photo fantastic yeah. put the credit card in that's right that's right it's there fantastic anyway it's not promotion um, for next yeah um, you lost the trade that well was I yeah you would start to sell to a lot of exporting and yeah these, exporting you know. so microfresh is antimicrobial freshness you go to South Africa it's about disease the same product Different market. You, so, but let me ask you, you a question. Yeah, but let me ask you a question. But did you get on a plane to find out this? How did you know this? By asking. Okay, I built up a network yeah. of people. Uh, but nowadays, we've got email, guys. Yeah. You know, we've got Google. Internet. Google. You've got LinkedIn. You can link. You can ask somebody directly on LinkedIn. Is there a place for my product in your country? Do you know anyone that wants to be a country manager? Do you know anyone that wants to manufacture for us? Do you know anybody that can sell it for us in your country? We've got a product that does this. Is there an application in your country, maybe in a different field? And honestly, you'd be amazed. The main thing is, my mum used to, there's a saying, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yes, it's about asking, isn't My mum used to say, if you don't ask, you don't want. Like it. And when they see that keenness, you know, you can do it. And so it's most... never been easier so, yeah, so, so what you're saying is a lot of businesses, 75%, I'll say that figure it again, yeah. never pick up the phone. Well, actually, that was the old days, pick up the phone. Pick up the phone, show your age. But, yeah. <laughs> but go to Google and actually research. And, and I think a lot of it, and I wonder, and I wonder, because you obviously travelled a bit. I did as well with my music, yeah. which is why I knew there's a market for the music. Yeah. Because I travelled a lot. Yeah. And then as you travel a lot, you, you see a different perspective. And you, you start, do. And you think... Well, maybe I can. It's happened with the magazine in America. That, that wasn't even that's great. Sur- yeah, wasn't even a surprise to me because we've done it with the music. So once you've done it once, you can do it again. It becomes quite easy. I yeah, think, I think we just have to persuade people to do exactly what you're saying. And I think it's brilliant the way you've said it. Is simply ask and say ask, ask. The DIT Department of so Department of International for International Trade are great. They'll support you. You can go to the DIT. You can even ask them to ask. Yes. Better that you ask yourself and say to the DIT, oh, I want to do this in this country. How can you help me? And they have facilities. They have services. They have people. They have the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. And it's all free. Well, you pay for it through your taxes. <laughs> That's not free, like a free lunch. Yeah. But it's all there. And you'd be amazed. Your product that you may be selling, I don't know, a million pounds a year in the UK, somebody in another, another country for a different model with the same product, Clearly, be 10 million, 100 million. So two things I've heard from you here. One is always be on the lookout for opportunities. And, and secondly, ask the question. Continue to ask, ask. questions. Ask, ask, ask. You just don't know. And two other insights. One is there's a partner right next to you sitting in a university. That's right. Another insight you've just said is if you're frightened of asking... Go and talk to another partner like UKTI and say, yeah. oh, I have this great product. What do you think are the possibilities? That's right. So it's always about asking and looking Ask. for people. And I, th- yeah. and I think you're a great example of somebody who didn't just sit within the four walls, but thought 
uh, they call it outside the box, but outside you know what I mean. Box. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean, and there's know. a term in economics for it, opportunity yeah. cost. What's the cost of not asking? Yeah. Just like ask. That. The most they can do is tell you to, I won't say the word on the live camera, <laughs> to go away. <laughs> so so was the, which was the first territory you wrapped up? China. Wow. You sold to China? We sold to China. Now, not many people sell to China. Not many people sell to China. <laughs> so all our products is all made here. So we are, by definition, an export champion with the Department yeah. of International Trade. Yeah. All my fish is made here, almost underneath where you're sitting. So how did you get China? Uh, a good friend of mine, David Hampson, uh, he's maybe watching this, I'll tag him in the, yeah. when I see it. Um, he, I met him when I was, when I was consulting, but I've known him a long time, and he said to me, you need an office in China. He said, you need an office in China because it's the growth area and you need to get in there before the Olympics. Because oh. if you get in before the Olympics, it's going to be cheaper. So I went to China in 2007. Cold, met people off the plane. Sounds like Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> cold? I mean, yeah, I mean, really? I mean, I was cold. The country's warm, but I was cold. I didn't know anybody. Uh, and arranged to meet some people in a hotel for an interview. Uh, and I said, do you want to be our country manager for China? Show me how good you are. Tell me how good you are. Can you sell microfishing to China? And we wow. had a little beauty competition, as they call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we set up an office in China. And what happened was when we came back to the UK and spoke to retailers, they said, our goods are made in China. How are you going to do that? We've got an office in China. And the two went, ka-ching. The other thing that keeps popping up, um, Every time you you said there's an opportunity, there's somebody you mentioned someone's name. So you obviously were networking and talking to people. Or how important is that? People tend to forget that that you need to get out and about and connect with. But you do drop the name every time you do this. <laughs> so it means you've made you've gone out to make connections. And it's crucial because a story that I heard is you know the on the on your phones the glass. Yeah. That was invented in 1967 apparently. Okay. Now most people think it's. 15, 20 years old. That's right, that's right. But the person who invented it didn't ask, didn't tell anyone. I don't know who it was, but yeah. apparently they just said, this is a great idea, I'll wait for the world to come knocking. And it doesn't happen. No. You just have to ask, and that means networking. And networking, to me, it's not about turning up at events with the business cards, it's about getting to know people. You know, we met on stage with MSD UK yeah. and we had a laugh. Yeah, we did. And um, that's how we stayed in touch ever yeah. since. And it's about getting to know people. You know, I know about, you know, your daughter playing the guitar. And, you know, but I, I am genuinely interested in people. Um, so I'm curious about them. I'm not nosy, but I like people. And I've got a friend who is the opposite. And he always says, when we go out, Byron, you're a nightmare. Because I just want to have a drink and have a chat with you. And you just want to listen to everybody. <laughs> you know, you're the Claire Rayner of business. But networking is important because you never know who you're going to meet. You never know. And one of the biggest contracts we got in the early days when we were a tiny business, and it kept us afloat, was a random meeting with a guy in Northampton who then had another random meeting with a guy in a bar in China. And then said, this guy in China said, I've got a problem. They were talking. And he said, I think I've met someone that can help you. So if you don't ask, you don't get. And if you don't ask, your name's not out there. I also think the more people you meet, I don't know if some people say this doesn't work, but I think the more people you meet, the more opportunities will come up. They will. They will. They will. And Linda, there's a misconception. People that are not in business, 
they watch Dragon's Den, they watch um, The Apprentice and they say, oh, business people all just want to shaft each other and yeah. be horrible. No. Not at all. Most people in business want to help people. Yeah. And you see it worldwide. The US is a classic example. Everybody just wants to help you. Extraordinary. Yeah. And it's a public persona. Okay, so you started to sell abroad. Yeah. And you started to ramp up. Yeah. And then from China you went to... India. India and then other countries. Now, what's also interesting, because I'm very conscious of time, is that there are a couple of other things. Now, they say, uh, so you went school, A-levels, and then later on in life you did a degree. Most people don't bother. That's right, yeah. But also what you did was you then went on to Goldman Sachs. Yes. So the picture I'm getting here is that you're a believer in lifelong learning is the impression I get. Um, and that you believe that every day you should take as an opportunity to learn even more, to educate yourself even more. Uh, at this stage, you didn't have to go to Open University. No. You didn't have to really go to Goldman Sachs and devote a day or whatever it is. But you were inquisitive, you were keen. No, um, have, I got, uh, have, I, have I got that right? And, and should all entrepreneurs be thinking like that? I think they should. And the thing with being an entrepreneur is, you need to know your limits. And when I did the Goldman's programme, a friend of mine said, you're growing your business, Byron. I know you. I know that you like playing football, you like playing squash, you like to go to the pub, you like to do your business. But if you're going to get to where you want to be, there's some stuff that you're going to need to learn. <laughs> so again, the choice is stay doing that or I suggest you try this programme. So I looked at the Goldman's programme and I thought it looks fantastic. The application was 30 pages. <sighs> Uh, so I did two pages a week for three months and then got it in. Yeah, because I couldn't do it all in one go. I haven't got that kind of space in my head. <laughs> and when I looked at the form, it's the thing that you have to do yourself. You can't give it to somebody yeah. else to do. Um, but it's and, interesting, you kept at it though. Yeah. Most people have done two two pages and left it. But yeah. you actually... Yeah, no, I kept on it because I thought I want to do it and I want to, I want to give it a chance. And I thought, I may not get on it because it's yeah. hugely oversubscribed. Yeah. Uh, I applied, got interviewed and I went on it. And Mark Hart, if you're listening again, great guy. He's in the next, he's in the latest issue. Oh, is it? The business is it? Yeah. Here, yeah. Um, but again, I went on there with open eyes, open mind. And within the first two modules, I thought this, I think this is going to be the best thing wow. that I've ever done in my business. And Ninda, it still is today because it taught me to be much more rounded as a person it taught me, of course, I was one of the archetypal entrepreneurs. I don't know about numbers. That's somebody else's job. And I didn't. But it taught me that you need to know the numbers. Something yeah. that you hear people on Dragon's Den say, you need to know the numbers. You need to know where you're going. You need a strategy. You need to listen to your people. You need to show leadership. All this rounded stuff. And it, then it made me realise as well, it made me realise about me, which is most important. Because I realised what things I have in me as a person and what things turn me on and turn me off. And I realised that you need to have people around you with the same values. Not that, not they don't have to be like you, but the same values. And that's why I'm still smiling, because yeah. as we grow as a business, we grow a team. If you know, it can get strenuous, but if you've got people around you with the same values, it's enjoyable. I was going to ask you, you, you know, you're still smiling. So, how do you manage stress? Is there, are there, are there, are there must be times you think, oh God. I'm not trying to sound like a smart behind no. I think is the word <laughs> uh, but I don't stress I've always thought the things you can control the things you can't control 
Um, running a business is tough. The Goldman's program helped. Now there's a national version, the Help to Grow, which again is a similar program. It's great. Mm. I recommend any entrepreneur to get on it. But it takes away that loneliness because you're uh. running a business. It is a lonely place because especially if you've got a family, you've got it's almost like a, I said this the other day and I got in trouble, but it's like a mother pig giving birth. You've got 10 piglets sucking on this side and 10 piglets sucking on this side. And that's your business and that's your family. And there's no one saying to mother pig, how are you? So when you have that network of other business owners, yeah. it's so helpful. We have a little group within Goldman's called the GS5. Right. Um, and they will be listening at some point or watching. Uh, love you guys, by the way. But we meet probably not enough actually probably four or five times a year and at least one of those we go abroad and we just have a little ceo detox uh, and it it helps us all to keep fired up so yeah and and so i suppose linked to that work-life balance so is, is that how you resolve it yeah again work-life balance yeah. i learned this in denmark yeah so in denmark five o'clock switch off everybody i don't know if they still do today but that was 20 years ago the shops at the weekend open till 12 30. Wow. So you spend time with your family. The last Saturday of the month, they're open till four. So in my business, I say to people, my team, after five o'clock, when you leave, switch off. Come back in the morning. When you're on holiday, switch off. No emails, nothing. Um, and I do. I play football in the evening. I, I was going to say football, music, family, sound engineer, so yeah. Playing the bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do all that normal stuff. And at weekends, I say, yeah. I think um, that's important to recharge your battery and keep your batteries charged as well. So, you just said recharging batteries. Uh, so, so one of the problems with CEOs and entrepreneurs is having the bandwidth to innovate. So, in other words, they're so engrossed in the day-to-day, they forget about continual innovation. Mother, I'm, I'm guilty. Dumb, <laughs> terrible, absolutely terrible. I've been there. So, the question is... How do you inculcate that culture of innovation without getting dragged into day to day? Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. Because that's something you gotta. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's a journey because it's something that you can't do from day one because you need good people around you. You need good people around you to say, I'm going to task you guys with running this business. And I will sometimes come up with an innovative idea. In the early days, of course, it's you doing the innovation. Yeah, yeah. But there comes a point where you can't do everything and you have to, it's a cliche, work on the business, not in the business. Yeah. something I picked up from Mark Hart. Yeah. Um, so you have to get good people around you. And their job is to run the business, to innovate as well, which gives you the bandwidth and the space yeah. to say, do you know what, I've just seen something. Yeah. Can we do this in our business? Yeah. Can we have something new? The pandemic happened. How can we get my on as many services as possible? I know, a foggy machine. Develop it, guys. Yeah, it's, it's that bandwidth, isn't it's it? It's that bandwidth, it's, and it's, it is and tricky. If you're a very small team or you're on your own, it's tricky, but as soon as you grow, I would encourage anyone to get smart people around you. You know, sometimes it's about salaries, I get it, and benefits. Sell that to you, prospective employees or partners. But get them in and make sure they're capable of running the team and give them the tools to do so. Like I had at Echo, make them entrepreneurs in your business. And, and, and talking about culture, you just talked about culture and making sure everybody's um, you know, rocking the way you want to rock and have that DNA. But are there any time where you sit back, and probably not now, might have earlier on, self-doubt? Did you ever think, 
I'm on the right uh, path here. I'm on the right <laughs> path. Or, or, or doesn't it? Or do you just jump out of bed every morning and say, yo, <laughs> yo, um, <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. Self Don't have time to sleep. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I suppose I've not really done self doubt. I don't want that okay. to sound. No, 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 that's fine. Cocky, but I read a quote once by Fidel Castro who said, and that's not an, an indication of my political allegiance, anybody, <laughs> uh, but he said, if what you're doing is good, then not having self-doubt is good. And if what you're doing is bad, then not having self-doubt is bad. I might have said that backwards, but I think you get the principle yeah, get of what the I'm point. trying to say. Yeah, I get the point. So I generally don't have self-doubt. I, I believe that anything's possible. You know, we have a global business. I'm from a council estate, a black guy as well. Yeah. So I do go out with that. That's my doctrine every day, that everything's possible. And of course, there are people smarter than me that say, Byron, hold on a minute that's going to take two years or that's going to take a year or that's going to take a lot of cash or and which is kind of how echo is echo is run as a business nothing's impossible it may cost a lot of money it may take longer but it can be done it's a couple of final questions um, what does success look like for you wow for me mm. success means um the team here are happy. And when I say the team, I mean the global team. We've now got 13 offices worldwide. Um, but we've all got the same kind of values. And how do you do that from here? Uh, it's quite <laughs> tricky. But so I know it's an old cliche. Again, just be yourself. Okay. If you're not yourself, people see through that. Yeah. Um, success is growing this business to be the best it can be. We want to be the Gore-Tex of freshness. So that when you think of freshness and cleanliness, you just think, oh, is it been microfreshed? Like you're seeing in Next, you'll see in some other big companies soon. So clothing, footwear, bedding, has it been microfreshed? We want to become a name like Hoover. Has this room been hoovered? Has it been microfreshed? We want to become that verb. Um, and success for me means, as I say, growing the team here, seeing them growing in themselves, expanding, getting more financially independent, sharing the business with people. And yeah, me playing the bass somewhere very hot and warm with the sun and the water dripping in my ear at <laughs> some stage. Just, uh, I, I was going to ask you, to, I'm going I'm to ask now, you talked about bass. Uh, did and does um, music help? I believe it does. I, I, I love music. I mean, I love most music. I love reggae. I love hardcore rap. My number plate's NWA. So people watching will know what that means. I won't repeat the words on camera. Um, I do, I do have a real affinity to music. I always have done. When I was a kid, bass was expensive as a thing. So if you had a hi-fi, it was generally, the first Amstrads were like So to have deep bass was a, it was like a luxury. It was like a quality. So I always had a thing about bass, hence I like reggae music. Proper reggae music, dub as we call it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 it does. And you know, I go home, I've got an acoustic bass, a friend bought it me. Hey, I'm rubbish at it, by the way, so don't think I'm going to be playing anybody's band. But it just gives you something that nothing else can give you. I'm going to say it's like a drug, but you know what I mean by that, in the good way. Final question then. Yeah. And it's been wonderful. So final question. Um, and, and let me just sum up some brilliant stuff you've said here. So one is, uh, and then I'll ask you the final question. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so firstly, um, you've got to ask. You've talked about looking for opportunities you've talked about be yourself uh, if you believe in something 
then doubt shouldn't come in. If you genuinely believe in what you do, doubt won't, won't come in. Um, yeah, doubt will come in. You've talked about, which is really good, um, lifelong learning. Yeah, always, always. be looking to improve. Always be looking to learn. Um, you're based on innovation. Your whole <laughs> persona, your whole business is based on innovation. So look for partners that can help you be on that track Absolutely. to continue and innovate. Um, look outside your natural borders. You know, everybody naturally thinks, you know, I'm in Leicester, I can only sell to Leicester people. I'm in the UK, or oh, the Midlands, I can only sell to Midlands people. I'm in the UK, no, no. There's a big world out there. Big world. Big world, and, and scale can happen. Final question then. You're black, you said that yeah. yourself. I think it's You're obvious Africa, you can see Af that. Afro-Caribbean background. <laughs> you grew up in a council estate. Yeah. Your mother looked after five of you. That's right. So you've done it. So what's your message to people who think they don't have the right face, don't have the right skill set, and think the world's against us, or actually, I have doubt? Yes. What's your advice to them and people early on that entrepreneurship, about to make that launch, that leap that you did, but they're thinking of all of these things. Yeah. Yeah, because that's yeah. the kind of background you came from. That's right. Yeah, that's you what came I from. Came that's from. your background. And India, you know what? 30 years ago was a very different time than yeah. it is today. Very different. Very different. Very you know, we difficult. don't need to go into detail now, but it was very different. Um, and if I want to give some kind of pearls of wisdom, yeah. I would say the first thing you need to do is to be the best version of yourself. And that doesn't mean, maybe controversial, standing up and saying, I need a concession because of my colour or because of where I'm from. Be the best version of yourself. Old-fashioned stuff, look people in the eye. Yeah. You know, strike up a conversation. Think of your business, if you're an entrepreneur, as I want it to be the best, the best product, the best service, the pricing, the delivery, all those everyday things. And people will see that. They will see that. And I can only say it from my experiences, they may say, and it must be good because of look what you've probably had to go through. So that's the message. Anybody can do it. They can. We're a global business. Some businesses, there's an old saying they used to front. They'd put somebody up front when it's really run by a black person or whatever. That's right. I'm front and centre in yeah, my business. And yeah. I'm in countries. Be proud of who you are. Yeah. You know, I've got, uh, Leicester's have got a huge Indian population, as, you, as we all know. So I have Indian friends in Leicester that say, how do you deal with India? We won't deal with India. <laughs> We're Indian. <laughs> But you know, I'm living proof. I'm not here talking or writing a textbook about it. I'm living proof. You can go to India and see Michael Fresh. You can go to Pakistan. Our guy in Pakistan was here the other day. He's a great laugh. Um, and just be the best version of yourself. And it will translate worldwide. Byron, it's been wonderful. Thank you. I've enjoyed your coffee as well. I'm going to have another one. Yeah. Mine's um, cold. I've not just had to drink mine. Yeah. And listen, <laughs> fantastic. I knew it would be. And um, I'm well, look forward to listening to the podcast. And, uh, and on YouTube. And of course, I look forward to your success also in the magazine. Let's do that. Uh, and also... Yeah, it's a story I think that's... Uh, we've hinted at it before, but I think we could do a much wider piece. So I look forward to your contribution in the next in issue there. of the Business yeah. Influence. Byron, have a great day, and I'll see you on the 13th. See you on the 13th. And anybody as well, just look on LinkedIn. There's a picture of us on the NASDAQ Tower. Yes. The microfresh name in my face, which is, for us, that's the zenith in life.
your face. Remember the word, your face. <laughs> cheers. All right, cheers. cheers Thanks for that, Linda. Cheers. Hope you enjoyed uh, this episode. And if so, please do leave a review. It all helps in promoting the podcast. Oh, and by the way, have a great day.